Hey, isn't it so awesome to be a part of what God is doing all over the globe? Hey, continue to pray for our pastors. They will be back next week, but they're still in Kenya um, doing some ministry. And yeah, it's so awesome to be a part of what God's doing all over the world. Hey, welcome. We're, we're so excited that you chose to join us this morning. We just want to take a moment to say welcome. Um, we just think it's so cool that you chose to spend some of your time with us, whether you're watching online or you're in the room. But we just want to take a moment and say a special welcome to anybody who's maybe joining us for the first time here at the bridge. One of our favorite things in the whole world is meeting new people. And so we're so excited that you are here. If you are new, um, take a moment, stop by our info center, uh, say hello, connect with somebody. If you have any questions, they would love to answer any questions that you might have. If you're a regular here at the bridge, can we just put our hands together? Welcome our visitors. Welcome the new people here. So awesome. Hey, we have a great, great, great morning planned for you. Um, No, I am not preaching this morning, and so we will get out on time this morning. But hey, we do have a very, very good friend of ours. Pastor Joel Holm is here with us from our sister church, Cottonwood. He is no stranger, great friend of ours. We're involved uh, with him and, and link up with him on many diff- in many different ways, including um, missionary work all over the world. It's so rad. Um, often I think that if one of the other pastors are introing you, Joel, they'll say um, how amazing you are, how brilliant you are, how smart you are, all this stuff. Every time I've ever heard you speak, um, I have those aha moments, and I'll say all that, but since it's the youth pastor introducing him today, I will say this, Joel Holm is all of those things, but Joel Holm is also just super cool. (laughs) He's super cool. He's really down to earth. Do me a favor, welcome our friend, Pastor Joel Holm, as he comes to bring God's word. I got three children in their 20s who would radically disagree with you on that super cool bit, but that's okay. Hey, uh, it is always a privilege to be here with you. Um, And before we jump into the Word, I want to tell you about something over the last year and a half that I've created that might be a blessing to you. I usually travel a lot and haven't done that much for a year and a half. So I created, it's free, I created what's called the Bible Guide app. You ever read a chapter of the Bible, Leviticus 23, and you've gone, I have no idea what that means. I just haven't. There's 1,189 chapters in the Bible. And not just some of the Old Testament ones, Hebrews, Revelation, Romans. So what I did is I wrote just a little two-paragraph synopsis for every chapter of the Bible. So you can kind of read a chapter of the Bible, read these two paragraphs and go, oh, and then go back to the chapter in the Bible and let the Holy Spirit kind of work with you on that. And then the second thing that the Bible Guide app does, and I think we have an icon of it, a graphic or something you can throw up there. Um, Second thing it does is the New Testament is 27 books, but it's really 550 kind of teachings, a parable, a teaching, a story. And for every one of these 550, I created a little three-minute audio. It's also in written format, but it's a little three-minute audio that just explains it. It's not a sermon, it's not a teaching, but just kind of explains it so you can read this paragraph, 15, 20 verses. You can listen to a two-minute audio and go, oh, that's what Paul's talking about. And then you go back and read it again. So if you want to, it's on every platform. Apple, iOS, uh, Android, you can download it. It's called the Bible Guide app, and I think it may help you as you open up the Word because the Bible becomes so important to us in guiding our life. You know, Jeff referred to the fact that we are um, on our 20th anniversary of 9-11, and I remember that time because for many Americans, it was such a new experience. There was this thought of, wow, we've never had this kind of experience before. How do we go forward? There may have been some fear, some uh, unknownness, some doubt. 
20 years later, we find ourselves kind of in the same situation where we're going, wow, well, we've never had this kind of experience before. What's the way forward? How do you go forward with all this? Because there may be some fear, there may be some concerns, there may be some unknownness. You know, 2,000 years ago, the early church had this very same situation. Their Lord, Jesus, had ascended. So even though the Holy Spirit was there, the physical presence of Jesus was gone. And they're going, wow, what's the way forward? Uh, Their leaders are beginning to be discriminated against, persecuted, even martyred at times. They're facing all kinds of pressure as a church. There's all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of unknown elements, kind of like we face. And they had this, wow, what is the way forward? And Luke sits down and he writes this book that we have as Acts to record how they went forward. For them, they knew without a doubt the way forward was we have got to fulfill the purpose that God put us on this planet for. We have a job to do as the church. And if we're going to do this job, we will definitely need the power of God to do it. If I'm going to raise my kids in this society... I'm going to need the power of God to be able to do that. If I'm going to have a marriage that flourishes, I'm going to need the power of God to be able to do that. If I'm going to walk in the health that God has designed for me in the covenant, I'm going to need the power of God to walk in his health. We're going to look at the very first miracle that the early church experienced. Because it's not just a miracle, but it's a teaching, a pattern for how we can experience and walk fully in the power of God. Because if you're like me, you're here this morning going, Joel, I know that one thing is true. There is a way forward, but I'm going to need the power of God. If I'm going to really walk forward with a confidence that we heard Pastor Nick talk about, that we worshiped about, then I need this power of God. And experiencing God's power is more readily available than we think. And we have a role. It's not just some kind of random thing. I hope to God he shows up. But we have a role in it, and this first miracle gives us kind of three critical insights. It helps us discover who, when, and why. Who is behind the power of God? When does the power of God show up? And why does it show up? So why don't you open your your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 3, and we're going to read this story, and then we're going to unpack it a bit so that we can walk not just in a moment, but tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday in the power of God. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention and expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit, begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this by faith in the name of Jesus. This man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can see him. Who? Well, there's no doubt that Peter wants the audience to know here, this power of God, this expression of the power of God happened because of Jesus. Miracles can be confusing because we pray for God to do something, but then we wonder whether or not it's going to really happen. And sometimes we feel like, oh, do we need to defend God if it doesn't happen? Is there something wrong with me if I pray for something to happen and it doesn't take place? Sometimes we don't want to get our hopes too high because we're not sure what will happen. But the one thing oftentimes that happens in our life when we are believing God for his power and his miracle is we put all of our focus on the event. I need God to heal my body. And everything is about the event of the healing. And if we're honest and you do an assessment, it's actually more on the event of what we need God to do than on Jesus himself. I put my eyes on, I need this financial miracle. I need this healing miracle. So everything becomes the focus of the event and not Jesus. And when that happens, your entire faith and your entire hope is based upon just that one event. And if it doesn't happen immediately, there's despair that can set in. And frustration and doubt can begin to take root. And Peter says, no, 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 you have to understand the who of the working miracle power of God is in Jesus. And you have to focus on Jesus even more than the change that the miracle will bring. Peter says it's faith in him, it's faith through him. One of the most important elements the book of Acts teaches about the miracle working power of God is the timing of God. That we are always walking into a miracle. Understand this biblical concept because it'll change the way you express and believe for God's power to work through your life. Last fall, I had a back injury and I needed a miracle from God. I needed my back to be healed. My wife prayed for me. The next day, I still had back pain. But because she prayed for me, I began to walk into my miracle. And that prayer was significantly important. I happened to be here at this church on a Monday about a month later. And I was uh, meeting with the team on the staff meeting. And Pastor Gary and the team gathered around me and they prayed for me. And that prayer was incredibly important because I kept walking into my miracle with my eyes on Jesus, not on the event. You say, well, Joel, after Pastor Gary and the pastors prayed for you, was all the pain gone? No, but it didn't matter. Because my faith is not based upon the circumstance, it's based upon Jesus with my eyes on him. So I kept walking into my miracle. It's been a year. I am 98% the way into my healing. But here's what will take place. If my eyes had been on the event and Gary prayed for me and the next morning I woke up and nothing really seemed to change, faith would dissipate. Hope would dissipate. If my eyes are on Jesus always on him as the miracle working power, faith in and faith through, then even if my circumstance doesn't change in the immediate, I still have faith. Because I'm not just miracle, no miracle, miracle, no miracle. I am walking into my miracle. And Peter wants the audience to understand, and Luke records this so we would understand, that we would look at the miracle working power of God. 
not in an event by an event kind of situation, but the fact that you are walking into your miracle. You focus on Jesus more than the change. The change will come. It may come in a moment. It may come in hours. It may come in weeks. The Bible records miracles that took years. But as long as your eyes on Jesus, you know, I'm walking into the power of God. And then Peter says, listen, focus more on Jesus through people. He makes this really interesting kind of contrast. He looks at the audience and says, don't think we made this happen. Don't think it was our power. But at the beginning of the miracle, he looks at the lame man and he says, look at me. And when he says that in the Greek, what he's really doing is he's taking ownership of this guy. He's not just saying, hey, can I have your attention? The guy's got the attention. He wants money from him. But Peter's going, no, look at me. Look into me. And Peter puts himself in a position of responsibility for this man and the miracle he needs. So on one hand, Peter's going, it's not about me and my power and godliness. On the other hand, Peter's going, I'm going to take responsibility for this miracle. What's the lesson? When we focus on Jesus, wanting and expecting the miracle power of God, we don't just do it isolated and individually. In the New Testament church, their way forward was together. There was a sense of togetherness. So when a miracle took place over here, the people over here who had been praying for it, they owned that miracle as much as the person it happened for they rejoiced in that. We have a tendency to see the power of God very individualistically. And what happens is we remove ourselves from being a part of the power of God as it shows itself in other people that we have linked with. My miracle of the healing of my back, Pastor Gary and the pastoral team, they own that. They had a role in that. They can celebrate that. They can say, hey, we experienced the power of God because God healed Joel's back and we were part of him walking into that miracle by praying for him. So Peter says, you got to keep your eyes on Jesus, not on the event. You got to walk into your miracle, but you got to do it together. Can I be really honest with you? There is so much more of the power of God happening in this church than you may know of because you're just not a part of it. You're either not praying for it, you're not aware of it, you're not sharing your need for prayer. In the New Testament church, they were all in together and the way forward was with the power of God, but the way forward was together. And when we are together, all of a sudden, when I experience somebody else's miracle, it lifts my faith. I think, wow, God did that for that individual? He can do it for me. I don't live isolated in my faith. I live together in my faith. So it begins by saying, the who is Jesus. My eyes are on him as I walk into my miracle. And we do this together so that we open our eyes to how much he's actually doing that we may not be aware of. But then Peter goes on because he talks about the when. Now this becomes really important. You know, when you think about the power of God in miracles, sometimes it seems like it's temporary. I want God to do a miracle. He does a miracle, and then like six months later, I need another miracle, and then six months later, I need another miracle. And God is here to provide for us that way. But Peter wants us to understand something about the power of God that literally can change how you live every day in his power. It's how he records what this man did. 
This man is healed by God and says he went jumping and dancing and delighting. And everybody who would read this story written by Luke in the first century would know very clearly that Luke is actually recording a passage from Isaiah 35, verses 5 to 6. Isaiah gives a prophecy of the resurrection. And here's what Isaiah says. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. And Luke writes a description of this man and he quotes Isaiah 35 saying, see, he's leaping. Every miracle, every power of God points to a resurrection. It points to the resurrection. Because a miracle that we experience and the power of God we experience this week or next week, it's part of what God is doing. God is restoring his creation. You go back to the Garden of Eden and you read the story before sin and you discover sickness was not part of God's plan. Evil was not part of God's plan. Broken relationships was never part of God's plan. Human suffering is not something God delights in. He didn't create that. He didn't craft that. And he is restoring the world to what his plan was. So every miracle points to an actual greater story of restoration that God is giving. He is allevi alleviating human suffering. Ever notice why God doesn't do the kind of power shows that you see on Marvel comic movies? Really, why wouldn't Peter, in trying to convince people of who God is, just kind of do a Magneto thing? You know the X-Men with the guy with the helmet? Just take the temple, move it down. And everybody go, oh, I guess God has power. I better follow him. Why wouldn't Peter just kind of levitate, watch this, guys, and just kind of raise himself 10 feet off the ground, go around the temple? Everybody would know, wow, his God must have power. Why wouldn't he do that? Every act of God's power, every miracle does one thing. It alleviates human suffering and trouble. Every miracle of God heals the body, feeds the hungry, provides for the poor. There's no these acts of random power. Everyone touches a human life and alleviates the suffering and alleviates the pain and brings a picture of the Garden of Eden into that human life, into that community, because that's what God is moving us towards. The reason why we can believe in God's miracle-working power, the way forward, has to include the presence and the power of God, because that's what we're all leading towards. And Peter makes this declaration about this is all about the resurrection. Not only does the man leap, referring to Isaiah 35, Peter even states it in his explanation of it. In restoring the garden, he is restoring us. Now think about this for a second. Because one of the things that you have to deal with, and if you're here visiting, but you're not really a follower of God, we're so grateful you're here. And we ask you to keep coming back and keep asking questions. But the one thing you've got to deal with, you're not a believer, you've got to deal with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
you got to look at that and say, do I believe that or do I not believe that? Because the New Testament church said this, we hinge everything on his resurrection. If he didn't resurrect, everything's a waste. Nothing makes any sense. If he resurrected, then I'm going to resurrect. One day I will have literally a resurrected body. One day every tear will be gone. Every pain, every hardship will be gone. But it all hinges on the resurrection. So here's a miracle that happens that points to this resurrection. Because Peter wants us to know, you want to walk in the power of God? you got to know the power of the resurrection. you got to believe in this resurrection. It's the one element of human history that God says, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of evidences for. You know, when a great leader dies, the tomb of that great leader is marked, and there's a lot of homage that is paid to the tomb because that's where the great leader is. You go to presidential libraries, and the presidential uh, tomb is there, and you go and you look at that. Every great leader there, you can know where their tomb is. Nobody knows where the tomb of Jesus is. Nobody really knows. Why? Because for the early church, he wasn't in the tomb anymore. So it didn't matter where the tomb was. It meant no marrying whatsoever. So nowhere on this planet can you go, as much as the Israeli tourism board would like to convince you that this is the place, nobody really knows. Because he wasn't in there. The Bible teaches us that he showed up to 500 people. And you may say, well, I don't really believe the Bible is God's word. The Bible, even if you don't believe it's God's word, is a literary, textual, historical document. So they're writing when they wrote it. And they are writing what they saw. You go, well, maybe they lied about it. If you ever wanted to develop a following, you would never create a narrative that people around you would say, that could never happen. And as much as the resurrection in today's world is kind of like, no, that could never happen, in the first century world, they would never believe in that. The Jews didn't believe in a resurrection. They, some of them believed in a unified one-time thing, not an individual one. The Romans thought the body was meaningless. That's why they could be spiritual and all of all these orgies. So they would never believe in that. For the New Testament church to say, we're pitting all of our hopes on the resurrection, an idea that society is going to radically reject. Why would they do that? Because it was true. Nobody would live a hoax. Nobody would die for a hoax. And Peter says, here's the miracle of God for you, but it hinges on the resurrection. It's got to be a part of it. And here's how it applies into our life. If we really believe in the resurrection of God for God's miracle-working power, we got to change something we do. I had this experience last week. I have a friend who's very ill and was having a really rough day in the hospital. And I texted my friend a word to build their faith and hope. And I was going to text, I texted him about, you know, God's miracle working power, about his promises. And then I was going to text about the resurrection. And my first thought went, oh, I can't do that. Because if I talk about the resurrection, she's going to think, oh, well, you've given up hope for my miracle on this earthly life. So I can't talk about the resurrection. Because the moment you talk about the resurrection, oh, I guess that doesn't count anymore. In the New Testament church, it was not that way. They believed in the miracle-working power of God in the present, and they always talked about the future resurrection together. And the reason why they did it together was the future resurrection actually gives you more faith 
for the miracle working of God in the present. Because that's what we're going towards. That is what he is leading us towards. That invading our present is all part of his plan. So Peter says, listen, you want the miracle working power of God to go forward? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep it centralized on him, not the event, because you will walk into your miracle. But remember and focus on the resurrection as much as anything else, because they both work together. And when you know, I'm going to have a resurrected body, it's going to be glorious. There's going to be a time when there's absolutely no suffering, no pain. That won't remove you from this. It'll build your faith. Because God wants that expression now. He wants the world to know about what we're moving towards. He wants that visible. So we talk and we celebrate and we share and we rejoice and we pray about the resurrection in the future to build our hope in the present. And you will discover more of his power when you weave that into your present day. Jesus, the resurrection. But something else happens in this miracle that we have to get a hold of as well. Something radically changes in this man beyond his physical healing. Because I've discovered this about miracles and the power of God. Sometimes a miracle can be a window into a misplaced hope. If I just see God do this, then I'll be happy. If I just see God do this miracle, everything else will work out. And God wants his power to be present in your life so that he will alleviate the human suffering and the pain, but he also wants to transform you into a much different Christ-like person than you were when you needed the miracle. Peter comes up to this guy and he says something unusual. He says, silver and gold have I none. Now, we always see that as kind of, well, Peter's being poetic. He's not. Read First and Second Peter. This guy doesn't have a poetry bone in his body. <laughs> he's actually making a statement to this man. And here's what he's saying. I know you think, I know you think that if you can just get silver and gold, the guy isn't even focused on a physical healing for his lameness. The guy's got in his mind, if I could just get a ton of money, life will work out. That's where he's putting his hope. That's where he's putting his desire. So he's just begging for pennies, but his hope is around, if I could just get a lot of money, I could hire people to carry me around, I could buy food. That's where everything would work out. So Peter comes to him and says, listen, you got your hope in the wrong place. You think the answer to your prayer will solve all of your life dilemmas. And you have your hope very much in the wrong place. Let me show you where to truly put your hope so that you don't just experience a physical healing, but you're transformed. Remember the guy who was let down through the roof who was a paralytic? Jesus comes up to him and this guy's laying in his mat. And I'm sure this guy's thinking, I need to be able to walk. If I could just walk, wow, life would be great. Everything would be cool. And Jesus comes up to him and he doesn't immediately heal him. He says, your sins are forgiven. And the paralytic probably thought to himself, that's cool, but I need to walk. 
And I wonder if Jesus said, you know, you think if you can walk, then you'll be so happy and everything will be great. Look around in this house. All these people walk and they're not that happy. Life is not that great for them. Oftentimes, where we need the miracle-working power of God can be a window into a misplaced hope. So while God brings his miracle-working power, he heals our body, he provides for us, he reconciles a relationship, he restores the child to faith. When he does that, he actually wants to do something even more he wants to transform us so our identity is like Jesus, and that's where he, we put our hope. God never lets us settle in our identity. In the eight months of walking into my miracle for my back, I can't tell you how much more he transformed me. I'm an intelligent guy. I got two graduate degrees. I've done a lot of stuff. I'm capable. Eight months ago, I was so self-reliant. So self-reliant. And as God healed me physically, he actually healed me internally as well. To have this incredible dependence, this transformation, God will never let you stay where you're at in your identity. He loves you too much. This idea that, you know, if you really love somebody, you just accept them for who they are, you let them be whoever they want to be, let them make whatever choice they want to be just because you love, crazy, that's selfishness, that's not love. When you love somebody, you pursue them until they become who they really should be and flourish in their identity. And you challenge them. And sometimes we hesitate to do that because we don't want them getting angry at us. God is not that way. And part of the miracle pattern is God says, I'm going to show my power to you, and I'm going to bring you a miracle, but you know what? I'm also going to change you. I'm also going to transform you in an amazing way. And in that change, I'm going to give you a calling now, I've been here enough times that, for those of you who know me, you got to love me, you're a Christian, so it's biblical. <laughs> and you got to love what I'm going to say next, because I've been challenged by this in studying this. I've been studying the miracle-working power of God in the book of Acts. And do you know what I discovered? Almost every time there is a miracle of God's power in the book of Acts, it's because they put themselves in a place to serve God. They needed provision because they gave everything away and gave it to the poor. So they needed God to provide for them. They needed a miracle because they were in prison because they preached the gospel. And they needed the prison doors to be open. Almost every miracle in the book of Acts isn't based upon I need this for my life, for my betterment, for my convenience, for my ease. It's I need this because I've put myself in a place of serving God. Now hear me, our Heavenly Father loves you desperately. And the Bible is full of promises for how he wants to provide for you and how he wants to heal your body and how he uses his power to bless you and help you. But we have to look at this and do an honest inventory of this pattern that says, if I really want to walk in the fullness of God's power, I will keep my eyes on Jesus, not the event, because I'm walking into my miracle. I will bring the resurrection into it because it will establish hope and faith. But I will also hit the pause button and say, Lord, what do you want to change in me through this? How do you want to transform me? 
And I'll position myself as part of his kingdom calling. What could I be doing in my life for your purpose, for your kingdom, that then requires your power because of how I've positioned myself? I have a good friend when I lived back in Chicago and he was starting business. And he really needed the power of God to start in business because it was a rough go and he was trying to figure out what to do and he was trying to get this business running. And the business was he wanted to import tea from Sri Lanka and from India, repackage it and then sell it um, to mainly restaurants and commercial areas. But he couldn't get it going and he was praying, God, I really need your power. I really need your help in this. And amazingly enough, God showed up in a miracle and he got the McDonald's contract. Every place but Louisiana, because they drink funky tea in Louisiana. But every place else, every place else, there was a season when you walked in and ordered tea, you were ordering his tea. It was a huge contract. It catapulted his business. But he understood the pattern in the book of Acts. This miracle is not just for me. God, how do you want to transform me? What do you want to do? Because now he was stable in terms of the business. He decided to build a manufacturing plant right in the heart of the south side of Chicago where one in four young men end up in prison. He decided to hire those young men and give them an opportunity. He ended up with an HR policy that was completely counterintuitive where he said, a young man would come and he said, I only want you to be with me for three or four years. Tell me what your dream is. I'll help you accomplish it. You want to go to evening vocational school? You want to do something else? I'll help you. Everything he did was counterintuitive to a flourishing business. Everything he did positioned himself in God's kingdom calling to help that community. And he needed God's power. And he saw God's power. This is the pattern of the book of Acts. This very first miracle. What is the way forward in a season that is full of confusion, some fear, great need, The way forward is God's power. And it's far more readily available, far more present. And we have a much greater role in that we think it's not just some random thing we hope for. God is here, and his presence and his power is here. But he says this, you got to keep your eyes on Jesus, not on the event. And some of you are here this morning, and you need God's miracle, but you're so focused on the circumstance That almost on an hour-by-hour basis, if not on a day-by-day basis, you're not seeing the kind of change you expect. And it's diminishing your faith. And there's despair. And you got to keep your eyes on Jesus, not the circumstance, so you can walk into that miracle that he's leading you into, whether it takes weeks or months or years. Because then you walk in a hope and a joy and a victory and a faith, regardless of the circumstance. And we do that together. you got to bring the resurrection of Jesus and our ultimate resurrection into your present. you got to wake up every morning eagerly expecting the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, the New Testament says. And you got to speak that out to others. Don't buy into the lie that if I talk about the future resurrection, it diminishes the present. No, it builds hope for the present. This is what God's leading me to. He wants to start it today. He wants to start it now. But you also have to then look and say, wow, what's the transformation? My way forward is in the power of God, and he wants to change me. He wants to make me more like Jesus, and he will use a miracle to do that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here.
And we're just going to take a moment individually. And we're going to respond to God's word. I'm just going to give you just a minute to talk to Jesus because he's alive. And he's here. And in a season like the early church had 2,000 years ago, like we as a nation had 20 years ago, like we as a nation are having now, my guess is most of us in here are in need of God's power. And even if you don't have a specific situation, that's not what drives our desire for God's power. It's not even my need. It's just, I want all of God. Some of you need to talk to Jesus about just focusing back on him and not the issue. Ask for his help. Ask the Spirit of God to keep your eyes on him. Because you're walking into your miracle. Some of you really need to be reminded and bring eternity into your present and rejoice. You know, you get to my age, I'm 59. My body keeps decaying little by little. I really look forward to no more aches and pains. The resurrection. Some of you need to hit the pause button and say, Lord, how do you want to change me? Maybe I have a misplaced hope. If this would just change, everything in life would be better and right and good. No. Jesus makes everything better and right and good. And if Peter was here, he would say, silver and gold have I none. Or this or that. And if that's you, can I just ask you, have the courage to know how much the Lord loves you. So I'm going to ask everybody, just bow your head, close your eyes. I'm going to give you a moment alone with Jesus. Talk to him. Ask him for his power, if you want to, for sure. Let him talk to you. because they're watching online or here in this auditorium. I thank you for their life. I thank you that you want to be so intimately involved in each of them. You know their story. Jesus, would you show yourself as the same miracle-working Lord that you were for this lame man? Cause us to keep our eyes on you at all times. Not on the circumstance. Cause us to see every moment, every prayer, every word, every scripture, every service as a step in walking into our miracle. That our faith would grow and our hope would grow. Lord, for those here who have become overwhelmed by the circumstance, would you be so present 
that a burden would be lifted from their shoulders even while they walk into their miracle. Lord, we thank you that time on this earth is not the end of the story. And this morning, we remember not just your resurrection, but our resurrection. That we will be resurrected. That you are restoring a new heaven and a new earth. That everything you want to do right now is a picture of that. So we rejoice in that. We thank you for that. We hang on to that today, knowing that your power and your miracle-working love for us is a window into that. And Lord, like this man, we come before you humbly and accurately. Whatever you want to change in us, however you want to make us more like Jesus, however we need to grow, the transformation that can take place that gives us a strength and a victory. By your spirit, would you lead us into that? While we are believing for and asking for a miracle in the natural, while we know your supernatural power will work, would you also work in us? Would you transform us that we would not just be people of this world, but we would look like Jesus to this world. That we would bring you glory and we would bring you honor. I thank you for this church, Lord God. May this church continue to be a church that reflects your love and your power, that reflects your will and your purpose, because that is our way forward. We lift up our request to you right now. Whatever miracle you are asking for, just take one minute right now and just lift it up to him. Just ask him. You hear all of our requests, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are bringing your answer. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. For one more moment, if maybe you're in this place and um, maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I would just encourage you, the way forward is beginning a relationship with him. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray one more prayer. And if you've never made that decision, if you've never taken that step, this is going to be your moment. This is going to be your opportunity. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Even if you're watching online, if you want to make this decision, bow your heads, close your eyes. What we're going to do is we're going to pray a prayer together. We're not going to put anybody on the spot. But together we're going to pray a prayer of faith. And and if you're in this room and you want to take that way forward, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if this morning you want to give your life to him or, or maybe you need to rededicate your life, Would you just wrap your heart around these words? We're a family here at the bridge, so we pray together. Would everybody write out loud? You don't have to scream it, but write out loud. Would you just say this? Would you say, dear Lord, I know I've sinned. I need a savior. 
Jesus, I believe that you died for me and you rose from the dead. So today, I give you my heart, I give you my life, I give you everything, and I will follow you the way forward. Thank you for loving me, and thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we welcome people into God's family right now? Amen. Hey, that's the best decision that you could ever make with your life, and it's not it's not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning of the journey. And, and we'd love to get you a free gift that we call the next seven days. Really, it's just, uh, it's just a tool, a, a small booklet to help answer any questions that you might have. The way forward, it's through the power of God, but it's also together. And this is our way of beginning that journey with you together. If you're in the room, you could get it in one of two ways. Number one, at the conclusion of our service on either side of the auditorium in the lower level, there'll be some prayer teams. They'll have the booklet. They're there to pray for you. Just walk up to them. Say, hey, I prayed the prayer. Can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you. They could pray for you. If you're in a big rush as you head out into the foyer, before you get to the glass doors to exit, um, there's a table right there. You'll see the next seven days graphic right above the table on the television. And um, they'll have the booklet. You can go right up to them and say, hey, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you, no questions asked. If you're watching online and you just made this decision, there's a button right there that you can press to connect with us. We'll get you a digital copy of the next seven days. Hey, one more time. Can we welcome people into God's family right now? Amen. Amen. Hey, well, this is the moment in our service where we get to worship God through our giving. And just a little bit ago, you got to see a, uh, a video from our pastors literally on the other side of the world, standing in a church that we together helped to build. Just a few years ago, I got to go to Kenya as well, and, and I got to help install um, the pastors into another church that we built in Kenya. And I, I was given the honor and the privilege to preach in that church for the first time. And, and it was an amazing experience, an amazing moment. Um, it was, hey, we're going to start church at, at one o'clock. And in Africa, time works different because we didn't start church until 3.30, but nobody had any worries about it. Can I tell you, day one in that church. Literally the whole church was filled. There were people watching from the windows there. And, and, and we had food because church in Africa always includes food and people got saved. And that church is still there as an epicenter of resource in that community, along with this other church that we built. And you've been a part of it all. And I just want to say thank you because we know this, that the work of the ministry happens because of a faithful God and faithful people like you. And so if you'd like to give today, um, there's a few options on the screen. If you're here in person and you'd like to give a physical gift, there's envelopes in the seat backs. You can um, fill those out, drop them on either side of the auditorium exit. There's some giving stations. There's another one right over to the right, right by the kids check-in. Hey, would you do me a favor? Um, would you just thank Pastor Joel Holm for that awesome message this morning of encouragement absolutely love it hey we love spending sundays with you thank you so much for being in church with us this morning have an amazing week an amazing day and we'll see you next week in church